Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Revelation 19. Good morning, City Hill Church. My name is Brian Duber. I serve as one of the elders here, and it's good to be with you this morning. I also count it a privilege to kick off our sermon series on the return of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. I love that song that we just listened to, the video that we just saw. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, and for me that song is worth a thousand words as far as the second coming and as far as this theme and this topic is concerned. I could play it a couple of times, say a few things, we could worship God and go home for today. I have a couple scriptures to read by way of introduction. Revelation 22, verse 7, And behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20, Surely, indeed, yes, I am coming soon. Three times in the last chapter of the Bible, Last red letters of Scripture, Jesus' words, I am coming soon. Luke 21. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, buy guns, bullets, and seeds, fill up your closets with toilet paper and bottled water, and head to the countryside. Is that what it says? Absolutely not. There's nothing like that in Scripture. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, <clears throat> Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. God, as we open your word, Holy Spirit, I pray just one simple prayer as we come together. I pray that you would reveal Jesus Christ to us. God, I pray that we would know Jesus more when we're done this morning than when we started. Amen. Last week, we greeted each other with the greeting that Christ is risen. It's risen indeed. This week, it's Maranatha City Hill. Our Lord is coming. The return of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, is a hugely prominent theme in the scriptures. There's 150 chapters in the Bible whose primary theme is the return of the Lord. Almost twice as many chapters in Scripture describe his second coming than his first coming. 23 of 27 New Testament books cover the topic, almost half of Old Testament books. For every one reference to Scripture to his first coming, there are eight references to his second coming. By one person's count, there are over 1,800 Old Testament references and over 300 New Testament references to the second coming of Christ. All that is to say that his return is foundational, basic Christian doctrine. This is Christianity 101. The second coming is not for certain churches, certain speakers, certain special groups. It's not for 
people who go down to the street corner, put up a sign that says the end is near. It's not some obscure teaching that we dug out of the Old Testament. The return of the Lord is for everyone. It's for everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's our City Hill Statement of Faith. It says, Jesus Christ will physically return to earth for the second time to judge the living and the dead, receive his church, and complete human history and the plan of God. When we talk about the second coming, we emphasize it is literal, it is visible, and it is eminent. The return of Christ is eminent. It's not a spiritual metaphor. It's not a figure of speech. Jesus, the person of Jesus, will literally, in bodily form, he will return to the earth one day. And that's awesome. That is an awesome, overwhelming thought, that Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth. When I say eminent, I don't mean he's coming tomorrow. I'm simply echoing back what the scriptures say, that he's coming soon. There's a lot of discussion around this theme, the mechanics of it all, how it all plays out, pre-trib, post-trib, rapture this, rapture that, how all of the events in Revelation will actually look when they happen on the earth. But I want to encourage us when we're studying the second coming not to get lost in the forest amongst the trees. Did I say that right? (laughs) Not to lose track of the bigger picture. The chief concern is this. It's the certain fact that he's coming. It's a certain fact. It's a true truth. He has said he's coming. His word said he is coming. The Old Testament prophet said he is coming. Jesus himself said he is coming. Paul said he's coming. Peter said he's coming. John said he's coming. Jesus keeps his promises. He said he's come. Jesus will come. It is a certain fact. It is a true truth that Jesus will come back to earth. That alone should stir us deeply, I believe, But understanding the doctrine and understanding the information isn't enough. We also have to live like he's coming soon. Eschatological living. I got my favorite word into the sermon this morning. Living eschatologically. Living with the end in mind. Living with the end in sight. I prefer the phrase living in light of Christ's return. And I've adjusted it recently. I'm saying living in light of Christ's soon return. And I'm saying that because that's what the Bible says. Not because we're picking a day or time for the calendar, because that's what the scripture says. This morning, we're going to look at what Jesus himself said about his return. We're going to look at Matthew 24 and 25. It's a long text. Don't worry, we're not going to read it all. If you want the abridged version, feel free to check out Luke 21 or Mark 13. We're going to talk about current events going on in the world. We're going to talk about judgment And we're going to look at Noah as an example of how to live in light of Christ's coming. At the beginning of Matthew 24, Jesus is with his disciples. It's the last week of his earthly ministry. They've pulled him aside. They ask him two questions. Basically, they've asked him this. They say, when are you coming and how will we know? Two questions that any of us might just as well want to ask Jesus. Listen to how he responds. Matthew 24, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various various places. 
Luke 21 says famines, earthquakes, and pestilences in various places. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. And if you're like me, it's hard to read that and steer clear of current events. Pestilence is a deadly and overwhelming disease. COVID-19 certainly qualifies. It's in a very literal sense, a pestilence that spread through the whole earth. It's overwhelming many. The last time I checked, all but five or six nations had reported at least one case of the coronavirus. It's not just a pestilence, it's literally a pestilence, but it's figuratively speaking, in my opinion, and I think many would agree, it's figuratively speaking an earthquake. Earthquakes shake things, they shake the earth. And this epidemic is in a very real sense, it's shaking the earth, it's shaking the whole earth. All nations, all spheres of society, economics, education, arts, entertainment, sports, healthcare, the church, everything is being shaken. It's shaking us. It's shaking down idols. Look what happened to the sports industry recently. All the games are canceled. One thing I learned about myself was how frequently I look at ESPN to check on the scores of the sports games. It's shaking us. It's getting our attention. Jesus says these things are merely the beginnings of the birth pains. And there's a lot we can learn about that metaphor. We can learn from observation. We can learn from experience. Not all of us, of course, have had that experience, but birth pains start small. Suddenly, they increase with intensity. They increase in frequency. And this is a key point. Someone offered up this point in our ABC Bible class the other morning, and he said, when the birth pains start, we stop and we pay attention. We don't just stop, we pay attention. Something is going to happen. And the question for this morning is not so much, does the media have our attention, does the president have our attention, does the governor have our attention? Yes, we should be listening to all of them. But the question I want to challenge us with is, does God have our attention? Does Almighty God have my attention and your attention this morning? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to do in my life? What is he trying to do in your life? What is he trying to shake? What is he trying to shake out of us? What is he trying to shake into us? How is he trying to get our attention today? Here's what happened to me. This topic of the end times theme for the ABC Bible class, for the sermon series it was picked, was on the calendar um, before coronavirus epidemic hit the United States. So I was eh, trying to be faithful and doing advanced prep work rather than last minute prep work. And I did okay, I was reading books, doing some research, reading the words of Jesus. And then the epidemic hits and one would think you put all the pieces together right away but it just one evening it just really struck me. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what he's talking about and it's happening right in front of our faces. And that isn't the main point, but the main point for me was I realized with myself that I really held in my mind that the return of the Lord, yes, was true, yes, he's coming, yes, I believe that, but I didn't hold it as a present reality. It was kind of a future, out there, somewhere event. He's coming, yes, he's coming, but not in my lifetime or something like that. And it was kind of like a little bit of a gut check moment for me. It's like, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? 
do you believe it's real that Jesus is coming back? And I think that's one of the things that he wants to do in this coronavirus epidemic. He wants to shake us. He's gentle. He can be a little firmer. But he wants to shake us. And he wants to awaken us. He wants to awaken his bride to that reality that Jesus is coming. And he's coming soon. Birth pains are important because they get our attention. They get our attention. They get us ready for what's coming. What's coming when Jesus returns is significant and it's consequential. So let's keep reading. Verse 26. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then the signs of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, then all the nations of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When Jesus comes back, he's coming with power and great glory. At his first coming, his first coming was noticed by few. It was somewhat hidden. His return will be different. It will be noticed by all. Every eye will see him, Revelation says. His first coming, he came as the Lamb of God, but he returns as the Lion of Judah to rule and to reign. Matthew 25, 31 says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, when he comes in his glory, when all of the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right, and he'll put the goats on his left. And the key point is this. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as the lamb, but he's coming back as the lion to rule and reign on the earth and to be our judge. When he comes in glory, he's coming to judge the earth and all of the nations. Revelation 19 gives us a picture of Jesus in his power and glory. I'm going to read this scripture for us this morning. One of my favorites. John writes this. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linens, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's a picture of Jesus when he comes back. And Jesus is awesome. He's awesome and he's glorious. It's Jesus in all his majesty and glory. And that's what we see. I love this scripture in Revelation, what it reveals to us about Jesus Christ. 
On Palm Sunday, we saw Jesus. He was riding into, into Jerusalem on a donkey. At his return, we see Jesus riding on a white horse as a king in victory. At his first coming, he's surrounded by animals and shepherds. At his second coming, he's surrounded by the armies of heaven. At his first coming, he came in mercy. And at his second coming, he comes in judgment. With justice, he judges and wages war. And let's not just blow through this point. We tend to do well with Jesus as our bridegroom, our lover. Jesus is our king and our ruler, but sometimes we can get hung up on Jesus as the judge. Neglecting this doctrine, I'm talking about judgment, neglecting this doctrine results in the false notion that good men are in conflict with an angry and unreasonable God, rather than including, concluding that evil men are in trouble or in debt, in a deep debt with a good God. Let me read that again. Neglecting this doctrine results in the false notion that good men are in conflict with an angry and unreasonable God, rather than concluding that evil men are in trouble or in debt and in a very big debt with a good God. And the trouble is that this doctrine, understanding judgment and the wrath of God, it also has, it has such great potential to inspire the deepest level of love and gratitude in us. And the key point is from Luke 7, to whom little is given, the same loves little. But the opposite is also true. He who realizes how much of a debt he is owed and how much he has been forgiven, the same loves much. So properly understood, correctly understood, I believe the weight of the doctrine of God's wrath and God's judgment is meant to produce gratitude in our hearts, deep, deep gratitude in our hearts unto a place of abandonment and gratefulness to what Jesus has done for us. When we realize how lost we were, when we realize how deep of doo-doo we were in. It's not just that we did a few sins. We did many sins and that the whole nature of our person is sinful. We have a sin nature and Jesus came and dealt with all of that. We were at odds with God. We were enemies of God. We were apart from God, separated from God, no hope to bring ourselves back. But then, thanks be to God, Thanks be to God for Good Friday, the enoughness of Jesus on the cross. He reconciled us, paid for all of that, and brings us into love and closeness in relationship with God our Father. And I think the more we realize how sinful we are apart from Christ and how holy and perfect God is, the more grateful we become for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. God loves us like crazy. I love this passage because we, we, see, we see the passion of God, the zeal of Jesus. That same passion and zeal that drives judgment, it drives his love also, and he loves us like crazy. He's got these passionate affections, passionate affections and emotions for us. He loves us. He's passionate, jealous, he's dangerous, even reckless. 
That's where that, I'm not the God of 99, I'm the God of 100. That's where that comes from, that passion to go after the one that walks away. That's where that zeal comes from. It's that holiness, that purity, the perfection of God. I'm not leaving one. I'm going after all of them. And that's where that comes from. I just think exploring this doctrine, it just brings gratefulness, brings gratitude, it brings worship to Jesus, and he loves us. But that doesn't mean that he's always happy and pleased with the world that we live in. And why would he be? Think about it. We live in a world that murders the innocent, corrupts the heart, oppresses the poor, celebrates immorality, violates our eyes. God's not happy with that. He's not happy with that at all. God is good. God is just. And the point here is that he will not leave sin and wickedness go unpunished. And that's one of the key pieces to understanding what's going to happen when Christ returns to earth. So, didn't come up with a good transition out of that. Let's go back to our text that we were reading earlier in Matthew 24. I'm going to go to verse 36. Verse 36, he says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. What Jesus is saying in here is that, excuse me, he said, if you want to know what it's going to be like in the days when I come back, then look 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 at what it was like in the days of Noah. And if you want to know how to live, in the days when I returned, then look at how Noah lived. And the key point here from that text is they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Many, if not most, in Noah's day were unaware of what was about to happen, even in light of Noah's preaching to them. It says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. They went about engaged in the ordinary activities of their daily lives, completely unaware of the significance and the consequence of, about, of what was about to happen. And Jesus is saying, that's what it's going to be like when I return. That's what it's going to be like in the season of my return. All of human history is about to be wrapped up. All of human history is coming to a close, but many will simply be unaware and unprepared for what is going to happen. Therefore, Jesus says, Keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. Be ready. Watch out. Be alert. Be sober. Be careful. Watch and pray. Stay awake. Jesus gives these exhortations over and over again, here and elsewhere in the Gospels. These are emphasized repeatedly. There's very few things in Scripture that get emphasized as frequently as these exhortations from Christ, and that tells us that it's important. And he's talking about 
external things as well as he's talking about internal things. He's saying be watchful. Be careful with what's going on in the world. But even more importantly, be careful and watchful about what's going on in your own heart, in your own soul, in your own life. Because you don't want to be one of those persons who is unprepared or unready when Christ comes back. Jesus is saying that the time for preparation, the time for getting ready is now. It's today, just like Noah. Noah heard the word of the Lord and Noah responded. When we hear the word of the Lord about Christ's return, we should heed it and we should respond. We should prepare. We should prepare our hearts, prepare our souls, prepare our minds, prepare now. Prepare now rather than preparing later. So, the question was asked in the ABC Bible class the other week. And the question is basically, well, in light of Christ's return, how now shall we live? What does it mean to be ready? And in response to that, I would say one example that Jesus gives us is Noah. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Noah is an example of living with the end in mind. He worked for 50, 60, 70 years on that ark. He was never told the specific day or the hour. God said, build an ark. He built an ark and he was ready. When God told him to get on the ark, he was ready to get on that ark. And when Jesus comes, he should find us ready. He should find us being about his business, not our own, by being about building his kingdom, not our own kingdom, finding us being busy caring for his family as well as our own families. Noah preached righteousness and lived righteously in a wicked generation. We're called to live righteously and preach righteousness and frankly, a wicked generation. It's not going to get easier to live a righteous life. We think the sexual immorality is bad today. Just wait a few years until virtual reality and 5G go mainstream. It's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse. But God says, be like Noah. Get some habits and patterns and principles in your life so that you can hear my voice and heed my call and do what I tell you to do and not fall into what the world is throwing at you. By faith, Hebrews says. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Noah heard the voice of God and obeyed. He heard the voice of God and he obeyed. He obeyed promptly and he obeyed in a way that endured over 50, 60, or 70 years. That's a lifetime for us wasn't a lifetime for Noah, but he obeyed promptly and he obeyed, he obeyed in a way with endurance. Mark Twain has a quote. I love this quote. Zachary has it on a t-shirt at home. It cracks me up every time I see it. It says, never put off till tomorrow what may, do, what may be done the day after tomorrow just as well. Never put off till tomorrow what may be done the day after tomorrow just as well. If Noah put off building the ark until the day after tomorrow, it wouldn't have ended well. 
for him, his, him and his family. And that's what God is trying to point out for us, is don't be like that. Do things promptly. And I think where, where I want to land this point is, are we, I want to ask us to take a look at some of the basics, the basic things that God asks us to do. Prayer, Bible study, fasting, daily devotions, evangelism, sharing our faith. And the question is, are we promptly obeying God in some of these things that are relatively simple? And are we obeying God in a way that allows us to develop patterns and habits that endure over years, not over days? See, when Noah built the ark, I'm sure he had to make some adjustments in his life, don't you think? He had to change his priorities, he had to change his habits, he had to change his patterns, he had to lay aside some of the things maybe that he enjoyed, but he did it in obedience to God and it resulted in the saving of his household. And the question that I wanna ask is this. Can the truth, can the true truth that Jesus is coming back can the imminent return of Christ, can it light a fire under us, individually and corporately, can it light a fire under us, in some senses, to develop our lives in these areas? And I, this is not criticism, it's not condemnation, this is invitation, it's an opportunity to evaluate, and I just think it's good. In, in light of Christ's coming, in light of his soon return, are we promptly obeying God and are we doing it in a way that develops patterns and habits that last in our lives over time? Prayer. I, mean, I really believe that God is calling us as a church to grow in prayer. Together and corporately, we've got prayer meetings each day, 6.30 a.m., 12.30 p.m. The links are 6 a.m., 12.30 p.m. The links are on the City Hill website. Everybody is invited to come and to attend. It's been a great opportunity to pray. There's people in their prayer meeting that they've been praying for years. They know how to pray. It's a great place to come to pray and to learn how to pray together. Fasting. Kent has called for fasting on Wednesdays. Are we jumping in promptly to fast together and to pray on Wednesdays? Are we willing to make fasting a habit in our life over weeks and years? Bible study. Don't know what to study? Study the end times. Read the 150 chapters on the end times. They're great. I love them. If you don't have the list, send me an email. I'll send them to you. Evangelism. Are we busy about sharing our faith? Do we have a habit and a pattern in our life that gets us to a place of sharing our faith with our friends and our family and our neighbors? Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will, and then the end will come. If we want to be a part of God's end-time purposes for his church, that's one easy and simple way to do it, is to be about sharing his gospel and his good news with all of the people around us. You cannot go wrong doing that. But my question really is, can we get a sense of, mm, I don't know, urgency? Can we get a sense of passion for these things? Because they bring us closer to Jesus. They bring us closer to Jesus and they get us ready, and they get us ready for his coming. He's coming back. 
Jesus is coming back. If there's one point that you take out of this message, just take that. It's a true truth, a certain fact, that Christ's return is soon. Christ's return is imminent. It will happen. It's a true truth, a future fact. The birth pains are happening into the world, are happening in the world today. He's told us what to expect. To expect. He's told us what to expect when he's coming. He's told us how he's coming. He's coming in power. He's coming in great glory. He's coming as our righteous judge. The question is, are we being ready like the example that Noah gives us? Are we promptly obeying God in a way that results in endurance over years and years? Are we orienting our life around the things of God? So I'll just end with where we started this morning. I mean, this, this message is, it's so, it's just beautiful. Christ is coming. He will return to the earth. He's coming to get his bride, the bride that he purchased with his own blood. He's coming to rule and reign. He's coming to judge the earth in righteousness. He's going to make all things right. All wickedness and all evil will eventually go away. And we should rejoice. Let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and may we, City Hill Church, be part of his bride who has made herself ready. Maranatha City Hill, the Lord is coming. Amen. Praise the Lord. It inspires me and it challenges me to take a fresh look at the fact that Jesus is coming back. And we need to be ready. You know, I, I was thinking that in the house, in my house, I walk around the house every night and I make sure all the doors are locked because there could be a thief that comes and decides to rob my house tonight. I want to be ready. And it says Christ is going to come like a thief in the night. So, and many people will not be ready for him. I want to be among the bride of Christ that says that views and waits for the return of Christ as his bride. Praise the Lord. Won't that be wonderful? We wait for him, not, not in the fear that the world will wait for him, but we wait for him in the joy that the bride would wait for those of us who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So praise the Lord. Jesus is coming. Maranatha Church, let's rejoice in the joy that we have that Christ is returning for us. God bless you, City Hill. It's great to be together. Continue to love on people. Continue to look for those around you in need. Be the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ to care for a world in this challenging time. God bless. We'll see you soon. Thank you.